ahead and turn to the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 10. Uh, It's been a couple weeks since we've been in Mark because the last time I spoke, we had outdoor service, and I felt led to deviate from the Mark teaching. And then last week, Jason uh, ministered, and it wasn't from the book of Mark. But tonight, we're getting back uh, to the book of Mark. And I'm glad, and Jason wanted me to let everyone know he didn't just duck out and leave from service. We've got a major leak going on over here, and so he had to go get some supplies um, to avoid any more damage than what's probably already been done. So uh, over near the bathrooms around the air return, water's just coming in. James heard it. I heard it too. And then we told somebody about it. We just figured it out and then told everybody. But, uh, but anyway, okay. Uh, I'm going to, we're not going to read first. I just want to give a little, uh, get us up to speed where we are. Um, we saw that as Jesus was going around Galilee with his disciples, that the disciples uh, lastly were discussing among themselves who was the greatest. I'm the best. I'm the best. And we know that the Lord brought in a child, right? And he says, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, become like this little child. He, he, he told what constituted um, to be great in his economy, meaning a child is dependent solely upon their parents or an adult to care for them, uh, signifying our dependence upon the Lord. We can't do anything without him, amen? We need him for everything. And Jesus' disciples asked him if they did the right thing and stopping the man who was casting out the demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus told them that they should not have hindered the man. You know, we're not in some exclusive social club, right? If somebody says they're born again, they believe that Jesus died, that he rose on the third day, then, you know, who are we to to stop them or, or to, to question what they're doing. We're to come alongside of them and to be a help to them and to their ministries. And then finally, Jesus warned his disciples that no one should cause any of the littlest ones to stumble in their faith. And he finished up by telling the, the disciples that they are to cut off the offending part of their body. And we know that that was symbolic, not literally meaning pluck your eye out if you look at something you're not supposed to look at, right? Uh, meaning we have to surrender our entire bodies to the Lord, realizing that temptation is all around us. We can't hide from it. We're in this world but we're not of this world. But if we yield ourselves into the Lord, then he will do that work that needs to be done in perfecting us and sanctifying us and making us more like him. So tonight, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to do my best to get through these. But we see tonight that Jesus has now completed his Galilean ministry with his disciples. He now begins to head down to Jerusalem for his last trip. Now, we're not exactly sure where Jesus was at this point in time um, in Galilee. Uh, A lot of people say that he was in Capernaum uh, when this uh, journey began, bless you. Uh, But now his trek is towards Jerusalem, right? Uh, And it says, uh, a lot of people say it's the Transjordan area, uh, meaning Perea. I guess that's how you say that. And, and here we find Jesus doing what he does best, beginning to teach people. But don't you know, as we have found to be true throughout this entire study, as soon as Jesus opens his mouth and begins to teach, the Pharisees are there 
to bring about confrontation, to try to cause doubt, to try to stop him, to try to do whatever they can do to discredit the work of his ministry. The Pharisees will now put Jesus to the test again, trying to get him to say something, to incriminate himself so that they can uh, get him killed or imprisoned. Uh, they'll ask Jesus if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And we'll look at Jesus' answer and see how he uses his answer to elevate marriage and the family to the status that it should be before the Lord. You see, Jesus always calls his people to think. He doesn't just give an answer, oh, oh, oh. You know, you know, there's those people and, and you're having conversations with people sometimes and you think you're talking about one thing and, and you're really trekking with them and you know what the conversation, where it's headed. And then all of a sudden they just like drop this bomb of wisdom. And you're like, oh, that's what we're talking about. That's what this means. And Jesus always does that. He's able to do that. He's the best at doing that, right? So we have to look at Jesus' answer to the divorce question here and realize that he didn't give uh, what the people really would have considered as a politically correct answer for that time. Uh, one man said Jesus wasn't politically correct. He was just correct. And that's one thing that we can stand on and, and hold on to, especially during these times. We don't need to be given our opinion we need to be given the Word of God because the Word of God is always right. The Word of God is always right. There's no, well, his side and her side and whatever. No, the Word of God is always right. It is the only absolute truth in this world. And that's what Jesus spoke. He didn't speak his own words. He didn't speak his own opinions. He spoke what he heard his father saying. That was his life, and we've got to learn from it. We've got to truly be about our father's business. Just as he said he was about his father's business, so should we. We should speak truth, and the only truth that you and I can speak is the word of Almighty God. Jesus was not a man who was concerned about being pleasing to people and being liked by men. He wanted to be pleasing to his father in heaven alone. That's all he was concerned about, and we need to follow that. We need to be the people of Ephesians 6, 6 through 8, and it says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. In verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And I, every time I read this scripture, I always think of the movie Flywheel. And I don't know how many of you have ever watched that movie. It's a Christian movie. Uh, one of the first movies that whatever that church, what's the name of the church? Do y'all know? That came out, yeah, those two brothers that have written all of these um, Christian movies. That flywheel was one of the first, and it took place on a used car lot. That's why I'm looking at Jason, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. But the, the car salesman, and he sells a car to this guy, and the guy is a Christian, and he says, I just want to pray with you that, you know, I know you've given me a good deal, and I'm just going to pray that all the good that you've done for me, the Lord's just going to do it back to you. And the car salesman's like, oh, gosh, because he really wasn't doing him a good deal, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I always think of that scripture verse. So there's a good movie that you can check out if you haven't watched it already. Even if you have, it's a good one to go back and watch. But marriage is an institution created by God for mankind. And we in the church need to always recognize that point. God created marriage. It's a holy institution, a, a, a holy covenant. Marriage was created by God out of love to meet our needs as people, right? It was God who observed of Adam that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And then he brought Eve to Adam, and we need to follow the guidelines of his word regarding marriage. So let's start tonight by reading uh, verses 1 through 9, and then in hopes of getting through 12. But Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, And he arose from thence, and cometh into the coast of Judea, by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he wont, meaning accustomed to, he taught them again, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Avon and Braley should be in here tonight. We could have just done it, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That wouldn't have been good. So again, Jesus takes his disciples to the Transjordan area. And when the crowds uh, again begin to gather around him, he begins to teach them. Again, that was his custom to teach them. I love what my commentary says. It says they so much needed his teaching, but it was his death that would set, him, set them free. They so much needed his teaching, but it was his death that would set them free. And my prayer all day today for tonight's service is that, Lord, you would give us a fresh revelation of your cross. A fresh revelation of where everything was purchased, where every battle was won, where every demon was defeated, every sickness was healed, every bondage was broken. Lord, I want a revelation of your cross tonight. Right? I, I pray that that's your desire, that's your, your cry tonight as well. But that's what we need, that's what we've got to get back to, uh, is the cross. You see, the journey that Jesus and his disciples are now on will ultimately lead to Calvary in just a few short days. In describing this time, uh, the Gospel of Matthew quotes Isaiah, and that's found in Matthew 4.16. And it's talking about the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region of, and shadow of death, light is sprung up. 
See, that's what is taking place right now. That's what he's seeing uh, before his very eyes. However, the religious leaders of Galilee, they didn't want the light. They rejected the light. Jesus said of them in Matthew eleven twenty one through 23, he says, Woe unto you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their rejection. So they would not accept him, despite the fact that blinded eyes were open. Lamed legs were made to walk, right? Lepers cleansed and even the dead raised. In effect, the greatest move of God ever known by people anywhere, no wonder Jesus said unto them, woe. Right? Can you imagine what, what he must have felt? I mean, he's been on the earth and he's been doing his ministry and it's now soon coming to an end. But in that short time of his ministry, all that these people right here who are now trying to trap him again, they saw all of this. But yet, they've rejected it. They were people who sat in darkness. They saw a great light, but they wanted no part of it. See, the ability of man to resist light and to rebel against God, even in the face of such a witness as none other than the Son of God, is amazing, right? I think about people who have walked through these doors, walked into this house of worship, has been in the very presence of Almighty God, but yet rejected. Didn't make an, a decision, didn't make an effort to come forward for whatever reason. My mind can't comprehend that at times, but then there are times when I think, Lord, when have I missed opportunities? that have been right there in front of me. Because each and every day, the Lord presents us with opportunities to receive from Him. Each and every day. And for us to sit back and, and throw stones at other people is no good when we ourselves are guilty of the same thing. I think that's why it was so heavy on my heart tonight, that Lord, give me a fresh revelation of Your cross and what You've done for me, Lord, because I need it. Right? We all do. We all need that revelation. So his departure, even though spoken in few words, is a happening of eternal consequence. It's a sad time uh, right now that's, that's taken place. He left Galilee. He had been forced uh, to leave others. They don't want him, never realizing that they were sealing their own doom. See, a lot of times people think, oh, well, I'll do that church stuff later. I'll do that Jesus stuff later. But we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know that we'll have later to get things done. That's why the word is so clear about saying that today is the day of salvation. We need to make things right today, right now. I don't know who you are that may be watching by Facebook or, or online. But today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait till tomorrow. The Lord's here right now. And all you have to do is just reach out. And just say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need your forgiveness, whatever it may be. And he will do just that. Um, we have to make it known that, Lord, we want all that you have. You know, I think about the, the uh, woman of Canaan. Even though she was not a child of the promise, 
she still, by taking the position of a mere dog, right, she could then appeal to his mercy and grace, and he gladly supplied to her instead of crumbs. That's all she saw, remember? She said, if I can just have the crumbs from the master's table. But he gave her everything, and that's what he wants to do for us. That's what he wants to do for all, for whosoever will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So now moving on again, the Pharisees have come up to him and put him to the test, asking him if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And Jesus answers and affirms marriage in the highest terms in God's sight. The Pharisees were always looking for any advantage which they could gain over Jesus, right? Trying to trip him up. Uh, give questions that really didn't have a definitive answer. Oh, but Jesus always is the answer, right? And he always has the answer. And this was especially uh, more the case as time went on and as Jesus became more widely accepted and popular. See, in Jesus' day, divorce was very common. Men uh, would and could divorce their wives for any reason. If a man didn't like his wife's cooking... Right? He could divorce her. Uh, he could immediately divorce her if he found anything unpleasant about her. Um, that was called legally for a divorce. Uh, adultery in those days was punishable by death under the law of Moses. And so because of how prevalent divorce was in Israel, Moses had permitted a man to legally divorce his wife by simply writing up a divorce decree uh, document. And after the decree was submitted, uh, the man and woman were no longer considered to be married, and thus they could remarry. And the divorce decree really provided them some protection for the women, okay, and kept them from suffering the death, death penalty uh, if they found another husband. And I know that tonight we might think, well, what in the, we know all of this, this is boring, but when you think about marriage and you think about the spiritual side of it and spiritual adultery you know everything that's physical is spiritual everything that's spiritual is physical so we can learn a lot from this right here and of course this is talking about a physical marriage but we've got to understand that when we step out and step away from the cross and look to any other source other than what Jesus did on Calvary it's like having an affair it's like committing adultery in the physical realm, but in the spiritual. Meaning, oh, what you did, Jesus, is not enough. I've got to go get it from somewhere else. That's what spiritual adultery means. And, and all too often, we are so guilty of that. And that is a slap in Jesus' face, saying that what he did on the cross was not enough. We have to go to another source. But that's not the case. That's why, that's what the enemy fights daily, is where we place our faith. As long as we don't place it in the cross, he's okay. But if we place it there, he's going to fight tooth and nail. Why? Because he knows that that's where victory is. Why can't we figure it out, right? We wander from place to place. So when Jesus first returns their question with the question about what Moses says, the Pharisees reply, oh, Moses permits divorce, right? They were really quick to respond to that, that a man could divorce his wife that God had given liberty to men to divorce their wives. But the um, uh, Bible commentary says, 
this about a divorce certificate. Uh, it really protected women from abuse. The law protect, protected the wife by restraining the husband from impulsively divorcing her and abusing her like an unwanted piece of furniture, instead treating her like a human being. Without a bill of divorcement, a woman could easily become a social outcast and be treated like a harlot. No man would want to marry her, and she would be left defenseless and destitute. But by giving this commandment to Israel, God was not putting his approval on divorce. Hear me tonight. God was not putting his approval on divorce or even encouraging it. Rather, he was seeking to restrain it and make it more difficult for men to dismiss their wives. He put sufficient regulations around divorce so that the wives would not become victims of their husband's whims. Because husbands in those days, and I guess in these days alike, they would just decide they wanted, even if they had children, and if a woman was considered a harlot or had committed adultery or these things, one, she could lose her life. Nobody would be allowed to care for her children. I mean, it was horrible in those days. But two, her and her children could just become destitute, could become homeless, just because her husband decided, I'm done. On to the next, right? So the Lord knew what was going on. It's not that he was like, okay, yes, here, go ha have divorce, whatever. No, he was trying to protect. That's what he always does for his children. His goal was always to protect us, to help us, to defend us, to give us hope, to give us a way out. See, divorce had devastated Israel, and there were so many women and children who had suffered horrible consequences because of divorce. So here we see that the Pharisees asked Jesus a trick question to put him to the test, again, to see if they could find a reason to accuse him. They asked him if it's lawful. They used very, uh, like, trigger words, I guess you could say. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they knew, depending upon Jesus' answer, that some people that were in the crowd could be swayed. Because during that time, um, there were two rabbis. Uh, one was a teacher and the other one was a student, but the student later broke off from that main school of theology. The first one was Halil, and the second one being Shemaiah. And Halil was very, you could divorce anybody for anything. He didn't care. He just thought a man could do whatever a man wanted to do, and if he got tired of his wife, be gone. But Sh Shemaiah uh, was not like that. He was more conservative, and he was very much uh, a proponent of the law, of the law of Moses, and you can find that uh, in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. It says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and give it to her hand, and send her out of her house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled. For this is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which 
the Lord thy God give thee for an inheritance. You see how uh, things were written out in those days? And I started thinking about when we took our concealed carry class. And many of you were in there with me when we did that. And if you remember, there was a couple in there that constantly were asking questions. Can I shoot somebody if? Well, if somebody comes and takes my dog, can I shoot them? Well, if somebody is walking out the front door with my TV, can I shoot them? Can I just want a reason to shoot somebody? Basically, and I'm thinking, please don't pass these people. Don't give them their concealed carry permit, right? Because they just wanted to shoot somebody. If you open their gate, can I shoot them? Can I shoot them? Right? And that's what it's making me think of in this. We should not, people should not, okay, Christians should not enter into marriage thinking, well, how can I get out of it if I decide I don't like it? Right? We shouldn't go into something with already a, a way out. Marriage is not to be entered into lightly, unadvisedly, right? It's n that's not how the Lord set it up. And so I see that that's what had happened in these days. Oh, yeah, well, we'll just get married because if I get tired of her, I can just write her, you know, right? God, forgive us for being like that. We shouldn't look for a way out. We should be looking for reasons to stay, right? And, and I'm going to kind of get ahead of myself, but what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. These words mean something. And if they don't mean anything, see, that's the, the main problem, is marriage was created by God. So people who don't serve the Lord, why are you getting married? Because it's not going to work. It's not going to be what the Lord wanted it to be, what he created marriage to be. If you don't have Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, both husband and wife, it's not going to work. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and it's not, I mean, it's truth. The word tells us to not be unequally yoked. People go into things. Church people even. Well, I don't know what happened. I do. <laughs> Marriage is hard enough when you both love the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> it's, it's hard. you got to have the Lord. That's why he, he instituted, he knew we had to have him to make it in our marriage. That's why he created it. It was to give him glory, to give him honor, and that's it. But today we just see so many people going into things, looking already for a way out. no. We go into it for life. I told Noah, divorce is not an option. I'm sorry. That's what you go into marriage in your mind. We'll work through whatever. Divorce is not an option. You don't get, you don't. I mean, that's it. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to move on. Okay, but the crowds most in the crowd that day believed in the sanctity of marriage and many saw the horrible consequences of divorce, right? If Jesus said something that undermined the sanctity of marriage or the family or encouraged divorce, then the Pharisees thought they could incite the multitudes against him and have him stoned. Again, that was their goal, just to take him out. But because Jesus' answer to this question has a huge impact on our lives as believers due to the fact 
that today divorce is rampant, both in the world and in the church, right? We ought to consider the consequences of divorce. We need to take a look at that. If you go online, uh, you can search it up, and there's really no difference between the, the statistics of divorces of people who don't claim um, to go to church or know the Lord as those who do. And that's sad. That's very sad. There is a website. Um, the name of it is divorcestatistics.org. Uh, if you want to go on it, I know it's very, that's a great for it, right? But the enemy, the devil, he knows that in any group of people, he can destroy them. He can destroy the work of God if he brings down families. Because the family unit is the centerpiece of society and the church. Why do you think the enemy fights so hard against the family, against husband and wives? Why do you think it's so hard to get up and come to church on Sunday? Right? Most couples, most families will tell you Sunday mornings are horrible. I mean, they have fights, they have fallouts, you know, all because the enemy is doing everything he can to keep you from coming and receiving a word from the Lord, right? Well, you just need to give the devil a black eye, a one-two, and you need to have church at your house Monday through Saturday, right? So he'll know, maybe he'll get the picture that I can have church in my house, I can have church here, devil, you ain't stopping me. And maybe that'll cut down on the Sunday morning fights. I don't know, but we'll see. But again, uh, the website that I went to, and I won't take much time here, it had a lot of information, but approximately 50% of all marriages in America will end in divorce. Half. And that's the same as those who claim to be Christians and those who don't. Uh, unfortunately, again, this rate is high for Christians. Uh, the tendency of marriage towards ending in divorces increases in America. Um, and there's a whole graph here that I printed out. Um, the first marriage, 45 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. If you're on your second marriage, 60 to 67% of second marriages end in divorce. Then third marriages, it stays about the same, up to 67% of third marriages end in divorce. Um, childless couples uh, in America are much more likely to end in divorce. Um, divorcing couples, it says couples with children, 40% in America. Couples without children, 66% end in divorce. Uh, so, again, this website it had a lot of good uh, information. It talked about children of divorce are twice uh, as likely to drop out of school as those from an intact home, three times as apt to have a baby out of wedlock, five times more likely to be in poverty, and 12 times more likely to be incarcerated just from their parents getting divorced. Now, these aren't my opinions. These aren't my thoughts. This is divorcestatistics.org, and you can look it up yourself, okay? Um, it had a lot of interesting things that I, I mean, it was, it kind of just blew my mind. Um, talking about cohabitation has increased 46% um, over the last 25 years um, because couples don't see the necessity in getting married anymore. Um, they see the benefit of not being married um, because they benefit from the government more. 
They get more help when they're not married, um, more money on their taxes, uh, more help with health insurance and things like that. Again, all going against God's word. That's ultimately what it is. I remember back several years ago when Obamacare came into play, um, I was calling, trying to get health insurance for my family, could not get anything, and the lady said, well, you could get divorced. Then you could get health insurance for like $10 a month. That was her answer. That was her advice to me as I'm trying to get health insurance for my family. Yeah, you got four kids. It'd be no problem. Now, I'm not saying, you know, but just on paper, just you could just say you're divorced. That was the answer that I got, trying to get health insurance. Right? I mean, we laugh. Because we, how absurd. You could just get divorced. It's no big deal. But sadly, that is the mentality of most people. But then the truth, divorcestatistics.org tell us it's the mentality of most church people because we see it happening in the church just like it's happening in the world. God, we need a revelation of your cross. We got to have it. We got to understand it. We got to grab hold of it, Lord. We know this is not pleasing to you. We know that you have forgiveness, yes. But Lord, we want to do your will and not our own, right? That's what we have to get to. So I'm going to go ahead and pass through all of this, divorcestatistics.org. In answering these Pharisees' questions, Jesus first explains to them that the decree in Deuteronomy that I just read to you was given to them by Moses, again, not as God's ideal for lives, but he goes on to say in verse 5, and I love this right here. What does he say? And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Right? For the hardness of your heart, he gave you this commandment. See, God would rather the Israelites had not divorced. But because one way or the, of the, or the other they would divorce, Moses provided a way for the women to at least be protected by some degree by the requirement of the certificate of divorce in order to have a legal divorce from their husbands. Jesus proves this by what he says next. You see, Jesus points the Pharisees to God's intentions for marriage when he first created man. And we can determine from Jesus' answer to them that he was not uh, one who always spoke again politically correct statements. That's not, that was not his goal. But in verse 6, it says that he made them male and female, that they might be married and be one flesh with each other, right? That's what he says. Um, I'm not going to stay here long, but this clearly tells us that marriage is only to be between a man and a woman. That's it. That's what he created. Uh, verse 7 and 8, Jesus points out the importance of leaving and cleaving uh, to your spouse in marriage. It says, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Uh, verse 8, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Uh, right here, couples need to move out and leave their families. That's what it's talking about. That's how the Lord set it up. 
set up their own home, and the mom and the dad should never be allowed to disrupt their children's marriage. I laughed at myself yesterday because I rode past um, Noah and Hope's apartment, and Noah's truck was there, and of course, my mom instincts kick in. Oh, what's wrong? Is he sick? What? He's supposed to be at work. Why is he not answering his phone? I get to Connie's house, and we're walking, and I'm looking at my phone. He hasn't, he hasn't responded to his text. He hasn't answered his phone. Go, what? Is he dead? I mean, that's what I thought. Because naturally, yes, he would be dead in his apartment, and his wife would not call me. <sighs> so I make it an hour. I get into the car, I'm backing out of Connie's uh, driveway, and I'm like, I'm going to call Hope. <laughs> I've got to. So I call, and I'm like, hey, Hope. <laughs> How's it going? I know you're back at work, but uh, is Noah alive? <laughs> yes, he's alive. <laughs> I said, okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> so, uh, I said, I'm sorry, Ma. I just had to call. Please forgive me. I'll never call you again, but yeah, I probably will. <laughs> I just couldn't help it. <laughs> so I apologize, but I'm not trying to come between your marriage. I just want to make sure my son's alive, okay? Uh, but they should. Moms and dads should never come between their kids when they get married. Couples that continue living at home with mom and dad, you encounter a lot of interference. Uh, it, keeps, it keeps the new couple from setting up their own rules, their own home, you know, things like that, cleaving. Uh, couples need to recognize the fact of oneness in their marriage, right? Um, and they need to realize you're one, meaning one doesn't go over here and make a decision, leaving one over here. You're one. All decisions now that are made are made together. If you buy a boat, if you buy a jet ski, if you buy whatever, you have to make those decisions together now. You'll make them on your own. Because if you do, problems will arise. The Lord knew what he was talking about. He's wise. He knows all. We need to listen to him. We need to heed to his wisdom. Everything that a spouse does, they can, should consider that they are doing it as one with their spouse and not see any part of their life as being separate. That's always been our first thing that we tell young couples. Um, girls' night, guys' night is over. It's now our night. We go out. We do these things. We, I've seen way too many marriages fall apart because they've maintained their girls' time and their boys' time, and it's not good, uh, especially in the early years. Uh, you do things together. You do things with other married couples. And I guess I should just be looking over here at this time right now. But, um, but no, we all need this. A spouse should never belittle or undermine their spouse publicly or before their kids. Uh, this violates the principle of oneness. Uh, I, I don't like to hear uh, husbands and wives talking about their spouses, be, you know, putting them down. Uh, now, I cut up all the time about Jason, but I would never say anything detrimental or, or to belittle him we need to pray for our spouses right and I pray that he's praying for me because I need it too uh, if people would pray about their spouses as much as they complain about them things might get a little better right finally in verse 9 Jesus says that if God has joined a marriage together 
that no one should ever try to separate them, right? And the divorce causes the oneness of the marriage bond to be broken. That's what that does. Uh, if you think of it like this, it's like um, divorce is like Siamese twins being separated, right? Because they've, they've left, they did the leaving and the cleaving, they became one flesh, and then when a divorce happens, they're separated. And yes, they can survive, Siamese twins survive a surgical separation, but there's always going to be damage by that separation. Always. I mean, there's just no way around it. There's always going to be damage there. Verses 10 through 12, uh, now in uh, Mark 10. And in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. Uh, right here, the Lord was very uh, quick to include women because in Jewish culture, women almost never divorced men. Almost never. Uh, it was only men who divorced their wives. Women divorcing their husbands was more common in Rome. Um, so for the sake of the Gentile culture, and a few of those instances where it happened in the Jewish culture, Mark includes here that Jesus always, or also stated that if a woman divorced her husband, that she too was committing adultery. Um, you know, the Lord, he was the great liberator of women. See, up until Jesus, women were dogs. Women were nothing. They had to walk behind. They couldn't walk beside. <laughs> and not their head that had been killed. But Jesus liberated women. He brought them up. That's why the Lord, when he created woman, just a little refresher course, he he took the rib out of Adam's side, meaning we're to be joined together. He didn't take him from his head or his feet. Uh, he took the rib from the side, meaning we're one, we're the same, right? He liberated women, truly. Um, again, these are some acceptable reasons for divorce, uh, each of which will allow you to be able to remarry. On another occasion, Jesus taught. That's what we just read. Uh, but in Matthew 5.32, it says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, <clears throat> saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Uh, these scriptures right here, uh, a couple more, 1 Corinthians 7, 13 through 16, And the woman which has a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy? But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And uh, verse 16, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? And these verses right here, according to Romans 7, 1 through uh, 3, you are free to remarry if your spouse dies. No, unite, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has not dominion over a man as long as he lives. 
For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Because a lot of people don't understand this and they just think automatically that their life is over because I know divorce happens. It just happens. And a lot of times it's not that they even wanted it, they didn't plan on it, but Satan is tricky. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. And he weaves a web, and, and, and sometimes it just happens. So here in the scriptures, it laid it out, fornication, any type of, um, you know, affair, anything like that. Um, of course, the Lord can restore, he can heal, he can mend. That's what he does. But if it's, a, 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 if it's something that happens that there's no remorse, there's no repentance, there's no wanting to change, I'm good with this, why can't I have three wives? Oh, Lord, I don't know why anybody would want that. All the men should say amen. But uh, anyway, uh, but the, the scriptures are clear. Uh, in, in how this works. Forgiveness is always there, always there. Um, so don't allow the enemy to bring condemnation if, uh, if that's you. Again, there are times when separation of a couple uh, is warranted. Uh, and it's not that we recommend it or want it, but it happens. But, the, but God is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us, always. Amen. So tonight, I know that this was a little different, and uh, this is good, though. Again, I, I want you to take time to go back and to look at these scriptures and to look at the spiritual side of it and to allow the Lord to search your heart and say, Lord, are there any areas in my walk with you, in my relationship with you that have been unfaithful? Are there any areas in my life that have been unfaithful to you, Lord? Because if, if they are, Lord, I want you to reveal them to me. I want you to show me where I've depended on man more than I have you. I want you to show me the areas of my life, Lord, where I, there's no trust there. See, all of these are issues on, of how a, a real marriage breaks down when there's no communication, right? We've got to communicate one with another just like we have to communicate with the Lord. There's got to be trust there. We've got to trust the Lord when it looks like we shouldn't, when everything around us is falling apart. We've got to be able to trust him no matter what. Same thing in a marriage. Again, everything that is physical is spiritual. Everything that is spiritual is physical. So tonight as we close, um, Vanessa, do you have a song? Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm just going to ask you to, to respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, uh, maybe there are things going on in your marriage. The Lord knows. We don't need to know, but he's here tonight to bring restoration, to bring healing. That's his desire. So tonight as the music plays, I just want you to be real. I want you to be honest with yourself because the Lord already knows and allow him to do the work that only he can do. Go ahead, Vanessa. So come while we're here, while we're near to the Lamb of God. 
for everything good in our lives, Lord, for everything that we have, Lord, for the breath that's in our lungs, Lord, you deserve the glory. And Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord, we thank you that, God, we have your word to go to, Lord. You, we have your word as the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path, Lord, that there's no questions that may arise, Lord, that you don't have an answer for, and we thank you for it tonight, that you love us enough, Lord, to tell us. You love us enough, Lord, to lead and guide us by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we thank you for marriage. We thank you for that institution, Lord, that's so symbolic, Lord, of your relationship with your children, Lord. And, God, we pray that tonight, Lord, that during this time, that each one allowed your Holy Spirit to search and to probe, Lord, so that we can be that bride ready for our groom to return, Lord. And we look forward to that day, God. But until then, Lord, let us be your hands and feet, Lord, boldly proclaiming, the truth of your word, God, given the gospel, Lord, to any and everyone who crosses our path. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Before I forget, I, I failed to mention um, to pray for Josh Hubbard's mom.